In a world that's changing, we're talking climate change, of course, but also the way workplace behaviors and usage are changing, as well as evolutions in community standards, building regulations, and more, property managers need to keep up with the times. That's where the collection and analysis of data can play an important role. On this episode, a data and sustainability entrepreneur whose business covers the world and a CBRE global property management leader in a case study of using data as a resource for landlords and occupiers. You need to understand the building on a very practical basis, to know it physically, to know the people inside it. And that is why I think uh, property managers have instrumental role uh, to play and to make all these insights, to make all these data reliable and actionable. That's Vincent Bryant, co-founder and CEO of DKey, a global data intelligence leader based in Paris and operating in 65 countries, monitoring billions of square feet of property with a primary focus on collecting data to optimize the performance of real estate. So the idea that the way we can manage a building can actually have a positive impact on community and environment, a group of citizens using their asset every day, that's actually a really important way to drive meaning and purpose into our team's work. And that's Emma Buckland, CBRE's Global President of Property Management. Emma originally joined the company's UK division and now from the company's Dallas headquarters oversees the management of more than 3 billion square feet of space around the world part of which involves a new strategic partnership with DeepKey. Coming up, property management and the role of data in smart, sustainable building strategies, improving returns on investment and more. Where we are now, where more or better data is needed, and where there are opportunities for data to support change for the future. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, Emma Buckland. Emma, thanks for coming out. Thank you for having me, Spence. Great to be here. And then our new partner, Vincent Bryant. Vincent, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Very honored. Great to have you here. Actually, uh, just for our listeners' benefit, Vincent's actually from the Bronx in New York. He put on a French accent because he's making sound. (laughs) I'm just messing with you, Vincent. It's all good. Uh, Vincent, data is at the core of everything that you do. Just give us a high-level overview of what you do to both collect and analyze that data from a typical landlord. We have 400 employees whose job is to help our customers collect data, make it reliable, because you always have gaps into your data set. And we collect data from various sources. It can be utilities, customer portals. It can be our customers, ERP, our amazing property management uh, partners, uh, software as well. We enrich this data with open data. And thanks to all this material, we create KPIs, insights that help them figure out how I can leverage these data to make the right investment. Should I sell this asset because it's too crappy? Or should I resubish it? Uh, if I resubish it, what should I start with? Uh, should I work on the outdoor uh, wall insulation? Should I work with HVAC systems, etc., etc.? And it's absolutely key to have actual information in order to figure out what to do because this type 
of the investment, they are too important for our common customers. Okay, so let's go a little bit granular for a second. There are other groups in the industry that do similar things at DeepKey. Tell us a little bit about what your competitive advantage is. Yeah, actually, the reset industry is aligned uh, with Paris Agreement in terms of target and objective. And we have a lot of people uh, that have started their ventures into this industry. And so we today count more than 200-ish competitors in the world. And that's true that we haven't found yet somebody bigger than us, which we are very proud of. Uh, and we think that the reason why uh, we managed to, to grow that task uh, is because we first combine technology and advisory, and you need both. Self-service platform uh, is empty platform, and advisory alone is not scalable. So in order to help real estate actors to make it happen, you need to combine both. And especially, you are stronger if you have uh, partners like uh, CBRE. The second point is, a lot of the, the players in the market are either work on the very technical side with energy management system on one hand or with disclosure platforms on the other hand. Uh, but we think that we ne you need to be both and actually more than that. Uh, you need to have in-house data collection capabilities uh, because at the end, our common customers will make decisions that will significantly impact the value of their assets. Then to make these decisions, they need to have good plans, good investment scenarios, but also good insights and based on that, good KPIs, and based on that, good data. And I will finish with the last point, uh, and probably I'll stop talking after that, is we also benefit from Europe experience and maturity uh, on that field. I don't know exactly why. Is it because of regulation? Is it of other reasons? But uh, we spent the past 10 years building our technology and our expertise first in Europe. And I think that at some point on that matter, uh, we, we have built a uh, uh, some interesting assets for, for, for other countries. CBRE announced a strategic partnership with DeepKey last year. Emma, tell us about the deal. Well, there's basically three parts, Spence, and we're very excited about it, as you said at the beginning. First of all, and in some ways kind of most importantly, from an operational perspective, we're going to be deploying the DeepKey Ready tool, which is a sustainability data intelligence platform across all 42 of our global markets. And that's going to be our sole sustainability data collection platform. The second element is that we're going to be a reseller of DeepKey. So that means that we can sell DeepKey as part of our services to clients. And then the last piece is we've also made a strategic investment into DeepKey. So that means we can influence the roadmap and we can help to partner with them to further improve their products for the benefit of property management clients all around the world. So um, we're, we're really excited about each piece of that. So if you were to pick one thing of the key advantage of deep key for our clients is this the data aggregation and the insights we gain from that yeah and that ability to share best practices between markets as we continue this discussion today we might talk more about some of the differences we see in different geographies but certainly we would see some parts of the world like europe being more advanced for various different reasons and being able to take some of those best practices from europe for example and being able to share them with the same client in the u.s I think is a unique position that we're going to be in from a property management perspective, when a lot of these things really are about day-to-day -day action planning and interventions in the building. So the decisions we make around supply chain and other different things we can do to reduce carbon emissions in the asset so that we can actually create that connectivity between our teams around the world that I think clients look at a firm like ours and expect from us. And sometimes it can be a little difficult because of our size and scale to achieve that. So we really think DeepKey is going to be an integral part in allowing us to deliver on our promise of being globally connected in terms of sharing those best practices with our property management teams. Thanks, Emma, for all of these kind words. Look, Spencer, actually, first, 
transitioning towards net zero in our industry uh, won't happen without good data and good insights, but also more importantly, also with the involvement of property managers. Their role is absolutely instrumental to make it happen uh, because many reasons, but managing relationship with tenants is key to onboard them in, in this uh, sustainability journey because you need to know how the building works from a usage point of view, but also from a technical standpoint. So for all these reasons, amongst others, it's absolutely, absolutely key uh, to have uh, these uh, players uh, steering uh, the journey. Joining forces together, uh, we are leveraging both CBRE's unique expertise on real estate and customer portfolio, uh, but also our technological and advisory capabilities. And together, uh, we are really committed to fight climate change within the industry. So Emma, I think it's no surprise that Vincent is uh, in Europe, and in part because Europe has been a leader in sustainability and uh, measurement. Uh, the U.S. has been a bit of a laggard. Um, is this our means of trying to catch up? Yeah, I think it's definitely true to say that the U.S. and the EU differ a lot, and a lot of that's driven by regulation, but also measurement and associated sort of penalties and incentives that have been put in place. But I definitely think the US is catching up and the EU has definitely been more proactive in terms of those regulations, but also what we know is important to investors, which is things like the voluntary disclosure schemes like GRESP, as an example. So I definitely think as we look at our business globally, we definitely expect to see more convergence around the world. And so there'll definitely be increased standardization uh, of services, including this as part of our property management sort of expectation. But I certainly think as we think about the US passing more regulation, and we know that's happening right now, we're definitely going to see, I think, America under the same types of pressures that, that we've seen Europe under. And accordingly, property management is going to need to pivot to support those needs for investors. I can't agree more with what you just said, but what I could add is, especially global players, uh, HQ, uh, they tend to, to, to align with uh, higher standards in the world. And that's true that... Uh, uh, for a reason I don't really understand, uh, by the way, uh, Europe uh, uh, started maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, however, and what is interesting to see is that uh, then some of them not only try to align with higher standards, but also to be ahead uh, of, uh, of the market. And uh, we have numerous names we could obviously uh, share between uh, common customers we have with Emma, where we can see that there is more and more interest to have not ESG, but sustainability strategy uh, in order to protect the value of their assets and to uh, impact positively uh, the world and especially the climate change. So let me um, talk about the elephant sitting in the corner of the room over here. And that elephant is the economy is pretty tough right now, particularly for office. And because of that, people are cutting back and they're throwing nickels around like manhole covers. And some people might argue that sustainability might be less important today than it was three years ago. What's your point of view, Emma? Well, if we talk about office specifically, attractiveness is really important. So certainly in premium office spaces, we know that tenants care deeply about the environment around them. And we know that they're prepared potentially to pay a premium or at least expect as a minimum standard that there's going to be some kind of a plan for the decarbonization of that asset. And that's about not just the impact they're having on the environment, but also their ability to attract and retain talent. Because increasingly for individuals, that's a really important thing, the, the impact for Gen Z and millennials that the office is having on the wider world. But I also think, especially if we just talk about the US, Spencer, and I know predominantly probably the audience of this podcast is likely to be based in North America. Um, I think it is really important to say that regulation, increasing regulation is going to continue to shape what investors are forced to do. 
So whilst it might not be the case that perhaps all investors proactively embrace all principles of sustainability, as they start to see more and more regulation come into place and more, more and more um, kind of punitive impact of them not aligning to those regulations that we were increasingly seeing um, investor clients make plans to try to create a, a decarbonisation agenda for their assets. So I, I think it's a combination of attractiveness for tenants, but also really practically speaking around, you know, working to support the regulatory agenda as well as obviously the wider investment agenda that many of our of our investor clients have and the importance of sustainability as part of that. If I may add something in that point, we use a lot of different words here. ESG, uh, sustainability, decarbonization, and they're all relevant. But I do like the way uh, in the US we tend to talk more about sustainability because sustainable decision-making and value-led uh, making uh, decisions are not mutually exclusive, as Emma used to say once during another meeting. And um, they need to avoid asset managers to see their asset becoming stranded. And uh, the protection of the valuation of the asset is absolutely instrumental and now it's not it's no longer uh, some you know forms to fill in uh, during the due diligence process but it's okay if i don't want to lose value on my assets to build on ms point i really need to figure this out and to make the right choices the right investments in order to save and protect the value of my asset with the impact investing which come afterwards i think this, this is the next step and it's more about how to create more value pro this way of seeing things so I think the vocabulary here is quite important uh, because we tend to mix things up sometime. And I hope at the end, it will be the death of ESG, the birth of uh, impact investing. You know. Well, we've had discussions of impact investing on this show several times before. And the bottom line for all of our large impact investing funds, and there are dozens of them out there, is that they suggest that they can get the same, if not better returns on their assets than they can for any other dollar that they invest in a fund that is not particularly focused on impact investing. And I think that's critical. I think you need to have that neutrality at worst uh, to uh, non, so to speak, impact investing funds. What's your point of view on that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, actually, I agree with you. There is no way to invest into something if it's not profitable. Uh, sometimes what we don't have into business plans and business model is the outcome of the externalities of everything we do with buildings. If we integrate these externalities uh, into the business models, the business plans, then it becomes uh, relevant. Some of our customers, they simulate carbon tax into their business models in order to take into account uh, and to uh, get a better payback time on their investments because they know that at some point they will face a similar cost if they don't provide more carbon neutral asset to the market. Um, and so I think at the end, either if you reduce the OPEX or if you uh, protect the value of your assets, in both cases, this is profitable uh, investment to make. And we need to consider them as financially profitable investments. There's an element here that I think has not gotten enough airtime, which is embedded carbon. I spoke to our head of sustainability the other day who said that if you build a new building, even if it's the greenest building you could build with emissions and, and energy, it still could take you 30 to 40 years to get the payback on the structure. Um, are we moving in any direction to measure embedded carbon? And Do you have a point of view? Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, um, so you're right, it can happen indeed, uh, but uh, it's it really depends on two things mainly. Uh, first, of the technical uh, status of the existing buildings. And the second point is the usage in the future of the building. Uh, on average, 
uh, reusing existing structure, an existing building, uh, instead of building a new one, help you save 50% of the CO2 emissions uh, linked to the unbodied CO2. This, this is an average. It really depends on an asset a building to another. Uh, and this is exactly the reason why uh, we started developing uh, two years ago uh, this unbodied CO2 uh, uh, capabilities and then decided to acquire a NUCO. Uh, it's to get the ability to assess building per building exactly what you just mentioned, which is, okay, should I refurbish it? Should I restructure it? Should I just erase it and start with a brand new one? And so this is the type of questions we help our customers answer. We talked a moment ago about the EU being ahead of the game as it relates to the United States. What about APAC? What about the rest of the world? Tell us about how measurement differs region to region. Yeah, of course, different markets, different regulations, different maturities. Uh, yes, Europe at some point is ahead uh, due to certainly the history of its uh, regulation. Uh, due to other reasons I, I don't fully understand, but it, it is a case, uh, indeed, what we see on a practical basis. Uh, however, even though the uh, regulation at the federal level in the U.S. is not as advanced as it is in Europe, still you have cities and states that are very ahead of the market, even Europe. If you consider, for instance, New York City uh, with Local 97 or, or, or the state of California uh, with unbodied CO2 regulation, recent regulation last September. So you, you start seeing things happening uh, that are very, very good. And you have also states and cities that are very, very late on that matter, if not sometimes uh, taking this, making decisions that uh, goes uh, against uh, sustainability from a regulatory standpoint. Uh, on the APAC, it's a very diversified market, very similar to Europe from this perspective, but very, very different uh, regulatory frameworks, very different levels of maturity. And so at some point, Australia may have some very interesting regulations around neighbors. I'm sure Emma uh, could build on this point uh, with recent uh, trips and, and, and teams there, uh, of course. Uh, but um, 2024 is, for instance, the year for Singapore, the climate change year at the governmental level uh, priority. Uh, that's very new, very first time uh, they uh, handle this topic at this level of the, the country. And so we may see amazing things happening there. And uh, Japan used to be ahead of the market for historical reasons. We've limited energy resources. 20 years ago, the prime minister in Japan uh, used to, uh, every uh, 1st of July, or I don't remember exactly when, uh, during summer, taking off his tie to show people that now to save refrigeration and uh, air conditioning, uh, we should all change the way we dress uh, so that we can save a little bit of energy. And it was 20 years ago. So uh, I, I think the level of maturity may differ from a country to another. That's for sure. Uh, but what we start seeing is you have not only regulation changing very fast in all these countries, but also, and most importantly, you have global players, uh, global pension funds, insurances, real estate players that don't wait for the regulation locally to make big decisions uh, at the global level. Where, wherever their portfolio is located. And what we start seeing, it's clearly uh, uh, that uh, private companies or listed companies uh, start being the main drivers of the change uh, locally on different markets. Well, I think it's fair to say that there's been some pushback recently. Indeed. And so the question I have for you is, given that, does that change the trajectory of where you think regulations are going globally? That's a very good question. You have players in the market, states, companies want to stop 
having too much regulation. But I think first, it's the must have. We can't afford to avoid this topic and especially climate change. And second, at some point in some geographies, yes, we have enough regulations. Now, just let's implement them. And what I can see from my perspective, and I would love to have Emma's point of view on that, is the most advanced and innovative real estate companies, they know they need to change and they know it is crucial requirements and they are doing it and start doing it. I'm not obviously talking about smaller players that fight to survive here. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think there are definitely organizations at the moment seeking to especially with major exposure to office, right, who are seeking to manage cost. And and I think additional, really significant additional amounts of CapEx with a very long-term payback at this point are probably not as attractive as they might be at another point in the cycle. But I think there are still, even in organizations working to manage costs down, there are still opportunities to take with a sustainability lens that help manage costs down and increase NOI, for sure. But I also think uh, as you say, Vincent, there's a large amount of institutional clients and frankly, institutional capital looking for the sustainability principles to continue to be kind of adhered to. And I think there's probably four things driving that. One is obviously we know regulation is an increasing factor in most markets around the world. And actually just to respond to your prior point, Vincent, in the US right now, I think there are 28 uh, states where some type of regulation has been passed or is due to be passed. So is definitely starting even in America to be a much more prevalent thing than we've obviously seen historically. I think the other pieces really are attracting tenants. And to your point in, in terms of Asia, I think that's something that the, the Asian market has probably been more focused on. So tenants have been more focused on sustainability requirements and that's driven the, the decision-making of landlords around the prioritization of this historically, perhaps a bit quicker than we've seen in other parts of the world. But the other two pieces are really, really around the, the financial element. So I think Increasingly, there's a conversation about access to capital. So can clients uh, achieve uh, access to capital if they focus on ESG criteria at more preferential rates? And so that's also informing the conversation for sure. But also this concept that there is truly a kind of brown discount. So buildings which are not going to trade today, but are going to trade in the next five or 10 years, if we don't take the right steps from a sustainability perspective, is there an impact to value? And I think increasingly the data that we're collecting would start to potentially support that. So Emma, looking broadly at our clients in the US, Europe, Asia, we already discussed that there is differences between them as it relates to how important sustainability is based upon local regulations. What are some of the major differences you might see if you were to compare and contrast Europe, US, Asia? I think the relative maturity is really the the big thing that kind of jumps out. So uh, certainly, I think if we take somewhere like Australia, which is where Neighbours was originally birthed and is now being scaled in, in places like the UK, um, they've been for 10 years plus measuring elements of sustainability that, that they consider really just to be part of general practice now, which are only just getting introduced into the US as an example. So I think there really is a, an, a sort of government and regulatory framework that drives the respective kind of adoption levels in different markets. But I, I think the other piece, so Spence, you kind of touched on cost earlier on. I think the other thing that really drives probably all owners is anything that can ultimately save costs. And I think it's important to think about sustainability as really an opportunity to be efficient in the way that we manage the asset, right? So it's not all about adding more cost in. It's actually ideally about reducing cost in the way that we operate. And I think increasingly that is becoming something that the owners understand and are prepared to invest in in order to kind of achieve outcomes. We talk a little bit 
in property management about this idea of being mean, lean and clean. And I know you like a, a little rhyming phrase. But when we say mean, we really think about kind of optimizing the building to minimize energy waste, which is opportunity number one. When we say lean, we really mean thinking about replacing with efficient alternatives when we're upgrading or replacing plant and equipment. And so things like LED lighting or high efficiency HVAC or building controls, which are linked to sensors. So how do we become leaner in the way we operate that asset? And then from a clean perspective, really thinking about where we're sourcing our energy from. So can we switch to a renewable energy source or can we invest in in on-site or community-based renewable energy schemes? So they're the sorts of things that I think increasingly are on investors' minds. So how can we potentially make CapEx investment that really allows us to reduce OPEX over time and actually what types of savings can be made potentially straight out of the gate if individuals or, or management teams haven't been focused on trying to optimize the building. Well, I, I like the mean, lean, and clean. I'm going to be stealing that from you, Emma. I thought you might. <laughs> well, they, they say good offers borrow, great offers steal. I'm stealing that. Good offer. So, Vincent, if I could turn to you for a second, tell me where you think we are at the best stage of measurement. Like, we do a really good job measuring this, but what is the next bridge to climb or bridge to cross when it comes to something that we don't do a good job measuring today? Getting the right uh, intel, uh, insights from uh, reliable data used to be the hardest part uh, because you need to get actual reliable and representative data in order to make the right decisions and then to implement these decisions to get the outcomes you are looking for. I wouldn't say that this is solved because obviously it requires a lot of efforts uh, from uh, real estate players and the role of property managers is absolutely instrumental. We used to see that as managers uh, coming back in the beginning of the years, uh, 2000, etc., where do we stop talking about buildings and start talking about assets? And we had a lot of the financiers who invested into this industry, which is a great industry, but uh, if you want to manage it properly, my gut feeling is you need to understand the building on a very practical basis, to know it physically, to know the people inside it. And that is why I think uh, property managers have instrumental role uh, to play uh, to make all these insights, to make all these data reliable and actionable. Once we say that, and again, uh, we have the technology to do it properly. It's just a huge investment with the support of property management companies like obviously CBRE. The second part, which is I think the hardest, is the implementation of actions. In every country, you need more workers uh, in order to refurbish and uh, build uh, buildings. Um, and you not only need pairs of arms to do it, but you also need skillful people. And on that matter, I think we need to uh, retrain absolutely almost everybody, actually. Because the way you change and you refurbish uh, a window, which is double glazing, all window, blah, 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 with uh, a triple glazing one and no thermal bridges is very, very different from the way we used to do it. And that's why we need to reinvest time and efforts in order to make sure that all these people will do their job properly. Having enough people to do it and do it properly. The last of the list is clearly the shortage on, on material. Now, if you want to acquire a new heat pump for a given office building, it requires months uh, to be delivered, to, uh, to ship it and to retrieve it, etc., and to install it. Uh, and I think there is also here uh, a lot of concern. Uh, so the earlier companies in, uh, implement uh, and invest into refurbishment, the better, because I think we won't have on the market enough skillful people and enough resources to do it properly. So first serve, first serve. This episode is primarily around measurement related to sustainability, but 
measurement at the building, the internet of things goes way beyond that. And I know that your company, Vincent, does more than just sustainability measurement. What other types of things are you measuring today? Um, what else would you like to be able to measure it if you could as it relates to the performance of a building? The big next step is to not only take into account the sustainable uh, KPIs and data and to build uh, insights about them, but also to link that to the financial assessment and the profitability of the different uh, buildings. So um, taking into account the different business models and uh, the different expertise, local expertise on asset valuation will be more and more relevant uh, insights we're going to build uh, for our customers or on our customers' behalf for our partners or directly uh, in order to actually help uh, asset managers to build their own secret source. Because at the end, it will be always asset managers' job to build strategy where they make money with assets and they will choose to make a little bit more social or a little bit more governance, a little bit more environment, a little bit more this or this, so see or cela, like we say in French. But we are here to provide the different KPIs and insights so they can make the right decisions. A little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. Anybody know who that came from? No. That was Donnie and Marie Osmond. Okay, classics. First first reference to Donnie and Marie Osmond on this show, I will tell you that. <laughs> so, so Emma, we'd like to ask you first for final thoughts of where we are today uh, from a sustainability uh, measurement standpoint, our partnership uh, with Vincent and with uh, Nikki, and uh, what you see is the next uh, the next step moving forward uh, for the relationship and and our clients. Thank you. Well, we're in a really excited place. So we announced this partnership and investment in the middle of last year. Uh, we're in the process now of rolling out Deep Key in the US and then our next major target market is going to be Australia. And so we really have an ambition in the next 12 to 18 months for Deep Key to be the data collection platform across all of our managed assets. And obviously, as Vincent continues to develop the business and make investments and uh, acquisitions like the one he talked about earlier on Nuco, that will add more and more capabilities um, to, to what we're able to offer to our clients. But we really want to try to get to a place where we can steer clients to make the best decisions that they can with their buildings and have our management teams be a really active part of helping to create value and helping to drive performance in those buildings in every part of the world that we manage. So we're really excited about the partnership and we're really excited about the potential for property management to play a really active role in making the world around us a better place. So that's what we're focused on. What What's next? Um, I, I know we talked uh, sidebar about linking property management later around sustainability to more of investment decisions. Uh, Vincent, what's your point of view? Again, from a landlord perspective, they need to build their own secret sauce that make their portfolio more profitable and uh, more uh, efficient. And to do so, they need to have some inputs coming from day-to-day -day business, uh, the value of the asset, uh, the amount of capex they invested into the asset, the occupancy rate, etc. But our job at Deepkey is to collect technical information and sustainable information to feed their models so that they can all have their own secret source to make the right decision. So this is clearly where uh, we are going to have more and more in impact. And um, also where we could help uh, is to share our data with experts on valuation uh, because these people tend to need more and more data in order to figure out what is the impact from a statistical point of view of brand discounting in Green Premier. So this is also, also something we work on, and this is the reason why we launched the uh, ESG index, actually. I think Vincent's kind of hit on all the same points, but certainly we are seeing landlords more and more focused on 
data aggregation and the ability to be able to put sort of what seemed to be disparate data sets together to try to drive a story about performance. And so certainly we're seeing the typical commercial data you'd expect around things like rent rolls and vacancy and those types of things, alongside things like the operational data. So understanding, you know, how people are using a building, what we see, occupancy levels like day-to-day usage of the asset, those types of things. And then alongside then the sustainability data set. And I think really the big question for most asset and investment managers now is how do they bring those things together to create the type of insights that really tell them where the performance is going. And so to, to Vincent's point, I think that's why we're seeing more and more focus on accurate and timely collection of sustainability data so that they can overlay it on those other data sets and start to really understand the total holistic portfolio performance. And and I don't know that anybody's quite got there yet, but I think we're, we're definitely seeing lots and lots of landlords work actively on how to try to create the most actionable insights they can from all of the data points that they've got. I think to uh, use Vincent's very good simplification, the secret sauce is going to be different for each landlord. Right. Each landlord puts different weight on demographics or labor or walkability or different factors. So this is not a one size fits all. It is a building block for what the landlord feels is most important. Well, on behalf of the weekly take, I would like to first not mispronounce your first name, Vincent. Did I get, did I get it right that time? Amazing. Thank you, Spencer. And thank you for accepting my French accent. You bet. Vincent Bryant. I'm trying. I'm trying, even though you're from the Bronx. Vincent Bryant, CEO and co-founder of DeepKey, a terrific company that focuses on measuring sustainable outcomes for companies, for landlords and occupiers. Well done, Vincent. Thank you very much, Spencer. Talk to you soon. And then our own Emma Buckland making a repeat appearance on our show. Great job, Emma. Global President, Property Management, CBRE. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Spence. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much. You can find lots of data about this show and related content on our homepage, cbre.com slash take. The data we'd like to get back is your take on topics you'd be interested in our show covering. So send us your feedback and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll return with more informative perspectives and practical takeaways in the weeks to come, including a study of higher education and commercial real estate and a chat with an educator, consultant, and author who specializes in high growth business strategy. Stay tuned for those conversations coming soon and more. Thanks for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.